0: one of the uh interesting things about gathering when you don't know what it is exactly we're going to talk about uh is that something draws you here you actually make the effort to come here and i'm suspecting that that has its main foundation in meditation itself whether it's personal or interpersonal, some sense that meditation is a useful thing, uh, but that just is a one more layer. If we go another layer down it's like, why is there an interest in meditation? And uh, now it starts to get kind of interesting. It's not abstract. Maybe sometimes it's like a carrot and a stick, you know. Sometimes we're drawn by the positive benefits, it's like oh, I could get more peaceful. Uh, some people uh, might have an idea of seeing clearly, or of even something like freedom, whatever that might be. And on the stick side, you have well, there's you know there's suffering. I'm suffering. There's there's things in my life that are painful that I don't think have to be. And I think meditation can help It might be as simple, of course, the big one is stress, right? We all know about that. But there also might be, well, I want to, you know, I'm, I don't think as clearly as I could, or I don't know what direction I want to go in my life, or I find I can't control my mind at all. And it really bothers me or something like that. So there's, um, there's this negative stuff that we want to sort of, diminish, and there's this positive stuff that we want to increase. Is that fair enough? It's very general, I know, but is it, am I in the right vicinity, anyway? Um, And, yeah, I mean, our mental habits are so strong, and our emotional habits, our viewpoints, are so strong. And if it's, you know, uh, habits of churning in thought you lie down at night and the mind won't stop or you worry and the mind won't stop and in fact the body won't stop you know you worry and then you feel it in your gut or you feel it in your heart and it's uncomfortable it's painful and uh, maybe there's uh other kinds of some of us dealing with perhaps with illness uh, or aging and facts of uh, the the difficult complexities of moving into becoming what we are in the world, working in the world in some way, and yeah, I mean that's stuff that's we all share, you know the human um, aches and pains of being in this life, but the with these mental habits and emotional tendencies that each of us carry, personality, character, just the way we see things and do things. It's not so easy to cut through. It's not so easy to just be different. You know, maybe you've tried, I don't know. But, you know, you can say, I really want to be kinder. I want to uh, be, have less anger, Uh, I want to be more generous, I want to be more loving, and yet next thing you know, up come those thoughts of judgment of other people, or a feeling of superiority, or I want to be more confident, and next thing you know there's another feeling, another moment, another thought of fear, it's like you could think about it all you want, but what, what about change, you know, at some basic level? And there's so many layers of uh, uh, being who we are. I mean, even as I'm speaking now, you know, maybe you feel like a me sitting there. you feel like you know you've got your life history sitting in this body now. You know what I'm saying? If, even if I stop talking for a minute, just check it out, see if if. I, if, if, if you were saying to yourself, um, ah, yeah, here, this feels like me, something like that. Perhaps just a memory of what you ate for dinner. Perhaps a sense of who your parents were, your brothers or sisters, or your home. And that stuff follows us into each moment, doesn't it? I mean, in this moment, a kind of upwelling sense of, I am, I am this, I am like this. This is my mind, this is is my mood. And that tumbles forward, I mean, how far back would we go to say, this is where, how I became who I am how far back would we go? Where would we, how would we look at that? And it's kind of, seems like, oh, well, at least we can go as far back as when we were born. Yeah. If we want to talk about past lives, I don't know. But if we could go back that far, there's like how many, how many moments, how many instants with one thought leading to the next? How many of those moments where a thought gave birth to a feeling? And that went down into your cells and you felt like this and it became part of your belly part of your the feeling around your eyes the tension around your eyes you know how many moments how many thoughts of worry how many how many moments of fear how many moments of wanting something of wanting something else Wanting something different. Wanting a better relationship, a better home. Wanting to not be sick. Wanting to have a good meal. I mean, it could be anything. All those moments accumulate. And right now, as we sit here, it's like this. This is the tip of the lifetime. You know what I mean? Just a very simple statement I'm making. We're sitting at the tip of this lifetime. And when the mental habits, the emotional habits roll onwards, we wonder, you know, is this it? Is this what's possible? Is is some kind of real uh understanding or insight or peace possible? Is it possible to develop the kind of kindness or, or strength or clarity or intelligence? Is it possible to cultivate the kind of compassion that I would like to embody? And maybe these are the kinds of questions that relate to meditation, you know? Maybe meditation is part of that picture. Maybe that's uh, an approach. Tonight, we're going to talk just a little bit about, and then go right into practice, an approach to meditation that doesn't leave out human relationship. And by relationship I don't mean romantic relationships or this just being with another person, interpersonal contact, is not left out of the development of the meditative qualities of the mind. Simple idea, right? But let's think about the history of most meditation practices, you see in all of the great traditions uh, many relational practices within monasteries and you know, nunneries, and you see relational practices within ritual and so on in, in various religions. But when it comes to the stilling of the mind, when it comes to cultivating insight in, into the nature of suffering and freedom and freedom, freedom from suffering, then we leave we leave out others so that the mind can get still. And this is one of the most stimulating things that can contact the eye or the ear or the touch is another human being. So it's a smart thing to do, don't you think? to just say, okay, let's meditate and leave, and let's close the eyes and let's work with just what's inside this shell of skin makes a lot of sense. I think simplifies things. And the foundation of interpersonal meditation practice is in fact that simplicity. It is, in fact, can we even observe our own minds in stillness, in quiet, without another person can i can I watch the mind, can I relax the body and it provides some kind of foundation? but there's several mm other things to consider the most obvious one is what happens when we're done meditating if we've developed some degree of alertness or stillness mindfulness we have some sense of you know how to be present with with the rising and falling of thoughts and feelings and we haven't practiced with another person as soon as we touch the moment As soon as the eyes open as soon as we begin to talk relate to the people that we know and love all of the processes of reaction of constructing a sense of who they are and who i am and falling right back into the patterns is right there because there's this gap there's the gap of this simplicity and this stillness and all of that complexity. And so meditation begins to have, can begin, not does begin, can begin to have a sense of separation from the world. And uh, the gap can sometimes be unbridgeable. For those of you who have done retreat, maybe you've seen this when you come home from retreat and it's like wacky this is not fun I want to get back to retreat you know you really just it's too much and uh, its it's understandable it's really understandable so there's this problem of the gap and it actually goes a lot further than that for one thing the core, this mind, this brain, the actual physical brain, this body and all of its hormones, evolved over thousands of years, millions of years if you count pre-human, to be in relation, in relationship. So the structure of our perception, sensation is such that when what is seen is another human being, as opposed to, let's say, seeing a tree or a rock, when what is seen is another human being, a whole set of neural circuitry pops into action and it is a highly sensitized, Uh, aspect of being human, to respond to other humans. Even just my touching my face, your brain is responding with what it's like to touch your face. Just moving my arm, your mirror neurons are basically moving your inner arm so you can feel what it's like to be me as I do this. reading my mind, in a sense, by living it in your mind, All right? This is what I'm saying is from neuroscience, but maybe you can feel it. Maybe you can feel what it's like to, 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 to be with me and for us to be together, and for you to be responsive. As you're listening to my voice, so much of what you've learned from your mother and father, but also just from being at the tip of this evolutionary curve as you're listening to who I am in a very deep way. You're assessing, am I safe? You're assessing, is there something here for me? Are there some, some, is there something good for me? Not just intellectually though, emotionally, and through the music, the sound of what you're hearing. And you're doing it with your eyes. So, this responsiveness, this incredible refined responsiveness to other people, isn't just a neural thing, it's not just a brain thing, it's throughout your entire body. And in some sense, you know, if you just pay attention to how it feels to be sitting here right now you know you, like you're sitting like this and you're sitting like that and you're sitting you got your hands together and you know you just brought your hand down so right like so we're in that body right so just this much of being in a body is a huge shared experience that we have add to it all of the ways we process the world the way we see and perceive, and even the kinds of desires and fears that are constantly coming up each time our eyes meet, or, you know, if you were out of this room, just going off in the world. You know, you walk through a crowd, there's all that subtext of, like, cool, not cool, you know, judging, wanting, always happening. We're so sensitive, and yet we are all so sensitive. This is something deeply shared by nearly all of us. Sociopaths, you know, those people that can murder without feeling anything. Uh, that's the extreme version. Um, there's, there, there are brain, uh, you know, neural, um, uh, structural issues there. But for nearly everybody, what I'm saying is true and always functioning. So let me bring this back now to meditation. Because of this sensitivity and responsiveness, we can either bring the concentration, the tranquility, the awareness, and so on, into this relational sphere. And come, if we're diligent, come into enough stillness and alertness, even while we're together, and perhaps see underneath, as these patterns keep replaying themselves, just like the patterns internally in our minds in silent meditation. You know, you sit there, you watch the mind, you watch the body, you see the patterns, maybe you let go, maybe you have some practice that helps receive and, you know, meet it with compassion instead of judgment and all this kind of thing. Well, likewise, we can see these patterns that arise in these moments of contact and learn to meet them. Not just the unwholesome patterns, but we can actually learn to cultivate a high degree of awareness that strengthens our, our overall sense of alertness and you might say something like I was, uh, knowledge of how this body-mind works, knowledge of what it's like to be human, something like that. But we see it not just in that one domain of our lives of silence and internal practice. We see what it's like to be human in this vast area of being in relationship with other people. So, one more piece and then I think we'll go into practice. If in fact, there is this high degree of sensitivity to other people and all of the desires and fears that are part of that alertness of contact, then might that, instead of just distracting and pinging us off into reaction, might that uh, sensitivity actually become a touch point for stronger mindfulness? for a steadier awareness, right? Where you remind me and I remind you, let's wake up, let's let's stay alert, let's stay in this moment, let's not wander off. And you say the same thing to me, not in words, but by being in front of me in meditation. Might it be the case that, if we were to investigate together with our speaking and our listening, finding pauses, together, touching silence together, that we might actually develop and deepen concentration, steadiness of mind in a way that doesn't come up in my individual internal practice. My mind just won't be as steady. Is that possible? Is that a clear question? So, I think we should practice. I think that's enough sense of the human problem of entanglement and the possibility of meditation practice to disentangle together. All right? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit